Hey there, my name is Roy and I'm the lead pastor here at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly. And today you're joining us for the fourth part and final part of our series called Four Cups. Well, you know, in Greyhound racing, dogs are trained to chase this little mechanical fur rabbit around the track in front of them. Basically, it's their incentive. And the speed of the rabbit's controlled by this guy who controls it up in the, in the press box. And it keeps the rabbit just in front of the dogs. Well, one time in Florida, everyone was ready for this, this big race, and the starting gun went off, and the man in the press box pushed the lever, the cage is opened, and the, and the greyhounds took off. Well, just as the rabbit went around the first bend, it, all of a sudden a mechanical or electrical short caused it to stop, explode, and burst into flames. Well, no longer having the rabbit to chase, the dogs, they had no idea what to do. Some of them laid down on the track, two of them ran into a wall and broke some ribs, one chased his tail, and some just howled at the spectators. Not a single dog finished the race. It's quite possible that humans aren't much better. Proverbs 29.18 says that where there is no vision, the people perish. And we were created on purpose for a purpose. We all have this sense inside of us that we're created for more. That our lives were meant for something significant. But when we don't understand that the purpose that God has for us, some of us lay down on the track. Some of us run into a wall. Some of us chase our tails. While other, others of us, well, we howl at the spectators. And that's why idle people with little purpose are so attracted to, to gossip. Because it gives them something to focus their attention on. It's something somewhat exciting. You know who has little patience for gossip or debating or arguing? People with a sense of purpose. People that understand why God created them and the role that they play in this world. They don't have time or the energy for the foolishness because their life matters. And so does their time. Well, four weeks ago, we began this series called Four Cups. In this series, we called it Four Cups because the Jews, when they celebrate Passover, this celebration that, that, that basically um, honors the fact that God um, took their ancestors and freed them from slavery in Egypt. And so every year, they, they celebrate Passover. And when they do, they celebrate with a lot of food, a lot of prayer, and four cups of wine, each of them representing four different promises that God made back in Exodus. Cup one is the cup of sanctification. This is in honor of the fact that God offers us salvation. For those of us that put our faith in Jesus and decide that we are going to surrender our lives to his leading. For the Jews, this represented their freedom from Egypt. Cup two is the cup of deliverance. This is a recognition of the transformation or the transforming work that God does in us as we learn to submit and obey his word. It delivers us from our past. He's constantly working out our issues. He's constantly transforming us into something better. For the Jews, this represented the work that God was doing in their hearts. Because God said, I've freed you from Egypt, but now it's time to free the Egypt from your heart. They were still slaves in their hearts, in their mindset. Cup three, which we talked about last week, is the cup of redemption. This is recognition that God has gifted each of us with spiritual gifts and he gives us a purpose. He repurchases us, repurchases us from sin and then he puts us on this new path, this, this path with purpose. Well, today we look at the final cup, the cup of praise. 
Now, for the Jews, this was the honor. It was an honor of the fulfillment of a promise that Israel would become a nation. God promised them that when he freed them from Egypt, that he would take them to a, a, what he called the promised land, Israel. And so they, they called this cup the cup of praise, but the Jews called it the cup of halal. Halal means praise or celebration. It's where we get, this, we get the word hallelujah from. Hallelujah. Yah being the first part of the name of God, Yahweh. And so hallelujah means, it means praise God or celebrate God. God's intention for your life is to live a halal type of life. A life of praise. You see, if Satan's entire intention is to steal, kill, and destroy, it's no wonder that Christians never experience the joy, the fulfillment, the halal of God for them because they keep walking into Satan's traps. He wants to steal your hope. He wants to kill your joy. He wants to destroy your future. But Jesus says in, in John chapter 10, verse 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, like we just talked about. Now contrast that with Jesus' mission for you because he goes on to say, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus wants you to live a full, fulfilled, a life of halal. Now, don't get that confused with when someone says to you, wow, now that's the life. Because usually when someone says, says that, it's because they saw your pictures of your vacation where you were, laying, you were laying by the beach with your feet up under a palm tree and they went, ah, oh, that's the life. Or, or perhaps you were, you were gone golfing in Hawaii or, or they, you were fishing every day at the cottage. People are like, wow, that is the, now that's the life. There's nothing wrong with those things except for that's not what Jesus meant when he said that you were to have a life to the full. Now there's a ton of reasons why people miss the fullness of life that Jesus desires for them. Sometimes it's compromising our future for what culture says is good. Sometimes it's it's settling for temporary happiness instead of long-term joy. Sometimes it's distraction. Sometimes it's not knowing why you were created. There are a multitude of reasons, but here's three reasons that tend to be near the top of the list. Number one, and we've talked about this in week two, getting snagged by our past. God designed you to run free towards the future he has for you. But your past is sort of like a ball and chain wrapped around your ankle. You can try and embrace the the life God has for you, and, and you will try to move forward in his plan for you. But if you were to run a race with a ball and chain, you'd be frustrated how much slower your life moves than everybody else. You'd be frustrated, and, it, and it, would t- it would be tiring running with a ball and chain. And eventually, your frustration and your discouragement would lead you to quit. This is commonplace for many Christians. They never fully embrace the grace that God gives them. They have dreams, or if you talk to them, they once had dreams. They try to seek God's will, but eventually they settle for that Christianity is just going to church. Because the weight of their past regret and shame and sin is just too much to keep carrying. Number two, sometimes we let culture define us. If you're not careful, culture that is always changing based on whims will try to redefine you. You you will let culture dictate whether you have value or not. But a culture that's constantly redefining what morals are to allow for their sin, a culture that redefines what marriage looks like, a culture that redefines what's acceptable will eventually call you unacceptable unless you compromise your values. The third one, and 
This is where we're going to kind of land today. We're going to focus on is we try to do it alone. We often think that it's noble or brave to try to seek God's will on our own. But God's life, his plan for you, a life of fulfillment, was never meant to be solo. You were never meant to do it in isolation. You were literally created by a God who is three in one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. You were created by a God who created the universe and the stars and and the earth, and then God creates man. And he says it's not good for man to be alone, so he creates woman. From the outset of time, you were designed to be in relationship. You weren't meant to pursue God-given destiny alone. You need people around you that are moving in the same direction as you, and People that will pray for you when you're discouraged. People that will encourage you to keep going. People that will not let you give up when you start to get inside your own head. You need a spiritual family around you. Let me ask you this question. When was the last time that you sincerely sensed God's pleasure for you? When was the last time you felt like God was pleased with you? There's a scene in the movie Chariots of Fire. It's a movie, an older movie about runners where the main character Eric Liddell who's a runner says at one point I believe that God made me for a purpose but he also made me fast and when I run I feel his pleasure when was the last time you felt like God felt your pleasure it felt like God was pleased with you I think about the times when I was a kid and played baseball and I'd hit a home run and I'd see my mom cheering in the in the stands she never missed a game and And there's this great feeling when someone that you love is pleased with you. I I have the highlight of my son Mason's first touchdown he ever caught. Um, And it's it's fantastic. But the audio portion is is basically my wife screaming the entire time. There's no doubt when he, he didn't even have to look into the stands. He could hear her that she was pleased. But... We're pleased with our kids, not just in victories. I'm pleased when I see my kids sacrifice for the sake of others. I'm pleased when I see them give to the poor. I'm pleased when I see them encouraging, when I, when I would see them encouraging a classmate that others used to pick on. When, when my daughter Janelle graduated from grade eight, she's, she's in university now, but when we went to give her a grade eight grad gift that we, that we had planned, and she asked us, Whatever you are going to spend on the grad gift, can you donate it to me towards creating care packages for homeless people in Toronto? And she had this plan. This is what she wanted to do for her grade 8 grad. She wanted to put together care packages of all kinds of essentials for people on the streets. And she had some businesses donate towards this project. And in each of those packages, she wrote a handwritten note letting the people who received the package know that that they are loved and that there's a God who cares about them. And so as we drove around, drove her around Toronto and she would jump out of the car and she would hand them out, her mom and I were pleased to say the least. Her mom with tears running down her face. When was the last time you felt like God was pleased with you? This is the spirit of the cup of praise. Let's look at verse, a verse that we've read each week. It's Exodus chapter 6 verse 7. It says, I will take you as my own people. And I will be your God. One of the first things God points out is, I will take you as my people, as a a collective, as a family. See, I believe you need to be connected to a church family. And there's this push, and COVID has likely accelerated this, that 
that we can take care of our own spiritual part of our life and we can do it alone. That church isn't that important. I don't need to be involved in it. And listen, I understand if you're physically not able to be in church right now or or at all, you, you still need people around you. But many of the times we miss church for lesser things. See, once a committed churchgoer used to be someone who goes to church seven or eight times every two months. Now, if someone goes once a month, we consider them committed. Many go if there's, there's nothing else on, if it's convenient for them. Over the years, we've seen people like this. They, they come when it's convenient, and then they disappear for a period of time. And, and when you talk to them about it, they'll tell you, well, I kind of feel disconnected. But it's, it's kind of like planting a plant and then uprooting it and planting it again and then uprooting it and planting it again. Just, and then just as you're starting to see some new signs of growth, you uproot it again and plant it again. And eventually it's, it's going to die. It's the same reason that leopards and pumas are in danger of extinction because they always hunt alone. See, we need people with us. You need community. You need family. You need relationships. And God made this clear, but science and psychology also confirms it. Which is funny, because I find that times, often God will say something in the, on a topic in the Bible, but then the ac- academic world doesn't put a lot of, of weight to the Word of God. And then they'll explain something, just giving more details to something God already said. It's like climbing up a mountain only to discover when you get to the top that Jesus was there the whole time waiting for you, and he's got a picnic laid out. But science and psychology, they are valuable. And too many times Christians see them as the enemy, but they're not. Instead, we should be seeing them as an understanding of how God did things or how God works. Science should reveal God for us. In the 1940s, there was a psychologist named Abraham Maslow. And in Psychology 101, there's something discussed called Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And it's basically this pyramid, a triangle, and at the base level is our, is our first needs, is our physical needs. Air, water, food, sleep. Things that we know we can't live without. The second is security needs. Shelter, health, personal security, clothes, things, things we, things we live without, we live in fear. The third is love and belonging. That's, that's friendships, family, relationships. Like we need to feel loved and cared about and encouraged. The fourth is esteem needs. This is recognition. This is respect. This is self-esteem. We need to feel valued. We need to feel, we need compliments. We need encouragement. See, these first four are what they call deficiency needs. These are the needs that we need met on a day-to-day basis. And these are the needs all of us have. But the last level of the pyramid is a need that shows God's intention for us to live a fulfilled life. This one's called the cognitive need. This is where our wonder and our questions come from. This is where we we're constantly trying to grow our, our, our knowledge. You know, it's estimated that the average kid between the ages of two and five will ask 40,000 questions. If you have a two to five year old, it may have felt like they asked all of them yesterday. But we have a need to understand. We have a need to grow our knowledge. But years later, scientists discovered that there are actually higher levels. They discovered another level they labeled the aesthetic needs. It's the need for beauty. 
It's the, it's the thing that drives us to want to stand by the ocean and just view its majesty. It's the, it's the, it's the need to want to, be, to view the mountains. It's the reason why we paint a wall and hang a picture. It's the reason why we landscape our yards, because we, we need beauty. But then there's a, another above that, and it's called self-actualization. This is our need to understand why we exist, why we were put here on this earth. And that seemed to be the end. That seemed to be the last level. But psychologists recently added one more level. And this is so important. Remember, this isn't a Christian study. This is basic psychology. The last level is transcendence needs. This, is, this need is beyond discovering why you exist what, and what your gifts and talents are. This is where you have this need to use your talents to help others, to make a difference. And this is it. God hardwired every human with these needs. I say all that to say that when we get to the top of the triangle, God's already there saying, I know you have these needs. And these needs can only be met through me, through community. Ultimate fulfillment comes from being part of a family where you make a difference because God is on your side. Let me end today with three simple thoughts where Hallel intersects with purpose and God's will. It begins first with a calling. See, the problem with this word calling is is that so many Christians tie this word um, to a person on a platform wearing a mic. The problem is that's not biblical. I, I have a calling on my life to do what God's called me to do, but the same goes for you. You have a calling on your life to do what God's called you to do. And that doesn't make it less of a calling. First Timothy 1.9 says, we, we can only keep on going after all by the power of God who first saved us and then called us to this holy work. He had nothing to do, we had nothing to do with it. It was all his idea. A gift prepared for us in Jesus long before we knew anything about it. You have a calling on your life when you discover when you discover that calling and use it to impact others, you understand halal. You understand a life that is full. But first, it requires some personal responsibility. You have to start with this sentence. And that sentence is, I want to make a difference. You have to be able to say, I want to make a difference. You have, nobody, can, nobody can want that for you. You have to want to make a difference. If you want to leverage your life, if you want to understand halal, you have to start with this sentence. I want to make a difference. I want my life to count for something. Number two, it stands on a cause. See, we live in this cause-driven culture. You can't shop anywhere right now without them asking you if you'd like to donate a dollar towards this cause or two dollars towards this cause. Sometimes the cause is, is, is... defined and maybe it resonates with you and sometimes it doesn't. The other day I mailed a package at Canada Post and they asked me if I'd like to give to the Canada Post Community Fund. I have no idea what that is. Kind of sounds made up. I'm sure it's not. I'm sure it's fantastic. But there are so many causes, good causes to give to. Corporations are even recognizing that it's a good idea to tie themselves to a cause where a portion uh, at times of something that they sell goes towards something Um, that's helpful. As a church, we're involved in many causes. and We're looking at many, many more. Uh, We believe in Teen Challenge. We believe in the work done in Cuba, in the Church of Portugal with the Mellows, Starfish Kids, 
In Haiti this month, we will be hearing from International Justice Mission, and we've discussed others at our meeting this last week. We are a cause-driven people. And I want to I give you another cause. I want, to see, I want you to see through this lens for your life. Your cause is people in heaven. People and heaven. Everything you should do should come down to people and heaven. Your job, people in heaven. Your money, your family, people in heaven. That is, this is the cause Jesus has for all of us. To leverage our lives and our resources and our relationships and our energy and our talents for one simple cause. People and heaven. The cause is people in heaven. Look at what Paul says in, to the Ephesians. He's about to head to Jerusalem and know that persecution and prison are likely. And he says in Acts 20, verse 24, Well, my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for the finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. So you have a calling. You've been given talents. And you have a cause. People in heaven. If you're not leveraging your talents and embracing your calling to a point where you point people to heaven, you're not truly being fulfilled. You see, it's not a coincidence that you are wired the way you are. It's not a coincidence that you live where you live. It's not a coincidence that you have the neighbors that you have, that you have the talents that you have. Number three, you need to move from me to we. God says, I will take you collectively as my own people. He says, I want to take your talents, but not alone. I want you to use your gifting together to make a difference. See, often the church, all of us, is described as a body, a body of believers. And the body has many different parts, and they're all important. We are the part of the collective body, and we all serve a purpose. Maybe you think your talent doesn't have a purpose. Maybe you can't figure out what its function is. It's only a matter of time before you discover the thing that you're really good at. You discover how it's useful. Back in 1925, an evolutionist stated at the Tennessee, Tennessee Scopes trial that there are 180 parts of the body that no longer serve a useful purpose. They were actually leftovers from the evolutionary process. Today, we know better than that. Today, we know better than that. That list of 180 parts that have served no purpose has almost shrunk to zero. Even the, the appendix, which was so mysterious in its, in its function, is now known to help produce antibodies and prevent bacteria in the colon reaching the bloodstream. No body part is useless. Same goes with you. No person, no talent, no function is useless. Your gifting and your talents are best used in the context of a team, of a family. They're best used when they're leveraged for your calling. A calling that is tied to a cause. A cause that involves people and involves the good news of heaven. So my prayer for you right now is, as we wrap up this series, my prayer for you is maybe, you're, maybe you haven't drank from the first cup. The first cup of sanctification. Where you haven't made a decision to give your life to the leading of Jesus. I pray for you today that that would be something that you would, you would consider. That's something that you would see as, that will change your life. 
Perhaps you haven't drank from the second cup. Maybe you've, maybe you've made a decision to follow Jesus, but you still keep getting caught up in your shame and your, your past regrets, your sin. And you just can't fully embrace that God wants to release you from that. He wants to free you from shame and regret and, and see that he does not come to condemn you. Maybe today you've never drank from the third cup because you don't understand what your purpose is. I pray that you would, you would seek God and discover what your talents and your gifts are and how you can use them. And ultimately, I'd love for you to drink from the fourth cup where you understand what you were made for, the purpose that you're given, and you now use those in community with others to make a, a difference in this world, make a difference in, and, and reach people and point them to heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that as we wrap up this series, I pray that um, we would actively be seeking to draw closer to you. I pray for the person who's never made a decision to follow you, God. I pray that I pray that you would put people around them that would encourage them, that would lift them up. But God, I pray that you would open up their uh, eyes to you, your word what you have to say about them, that you created them, that you love them, you, have, you made them on purpose, with a purpose. They ultimately would make a decision to follow you. God, I pray for those that are still snagged on their, their sin, their regret, their shame, that believe that you are con- condemning what they, what they do. God, I pray that you know, when they seek forgiveness, that they would be released completely of any, any regret or shame that goes along with that, God, that they would be able to walk in freedom today. God, I pray for those that are struggling with what their purpose is. God, that you would, you would reveal to them their, how their gifts are valuable, how, how the, the talents that they've been given, the God-given talents can be used. And God, ultimately, I pray for that as a body of believers that we would share our talents and gifts with each other and together make an impact on this world and point people to, to the, the good news, the grace of God. And Lord, we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.